The bracket is set for the ACC tournament. We'll look at the path ahead for UVA and Virginia Tech, break down the draw, and maybe make a few predictions. Plus, on the women's side, Kenny Brooks delivers a title for the Hokies. March Madness is officially here this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 106 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co host, the 14 time sports writer of the year, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, and this year's recipient of the Skeeter Francis Award for his coverage of the ACC and basketball, David Teal. Congratulations uh, on your latest honor there, my friend. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Mike. Happy Championship Week. Great time of year, isn't it? Now, David, before we immerse ourselves in, in nothing but college basketball, uh, hopefully for, for the rest of the month, because it's certainly uh, more fun for us when, when some of these teams keep playing, uh, how do you, how do you, you know, kind of like the old death row prison, uh, your last meal, how do you spend the last couple days before college basketball really takes over our, our schedules? Well, we uh, we went to church yesterday as a, as a family and then went out to lunch and went over to my mother-in-law's house and channel surfed between <laughs> between games with with the Virginia Tech women and the Liberty men and the the end of some other conference championship games we were watching the Big South and UNC Asheville's crazy comeback we were all into it so so you ease into March by nothing but basketball that's uh, that's good well I I can't say anything I, I did largely the same except my my evening was uh unfortunately Rutgers Northwestern uh and watching my Scarlet Knights continue to just I, I, I watched that too yeah and, and you know coming off the the buzzer beater loss to, to Minnesota mm-hmm. um you know, this is a team that, you know, I was hope I'm sitting there watching every bracketology expert hoping, hey, maybe Rutgers will go to the same site uh, as Virginia and, and I'll get to see my alma mater play in the NCAA tournament. And uh, now I'll be checking their NIT scores, it, it appears, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Ma- madness won't, won't be including, I don't think, the Scarlet Knights unless they can get something done in Chicago. Well, it might be, it could be Dayton for a second consecutive season for, yeah. for your alma mater. I, at this point, sign me up because the, the yeah. way things are trending, it is uh, not trending in a good direction. Now, on the flip of that here, trending in the right direction are, are both of our uh, local teams. Virginia Tech, they end the regular season with double-digit wins uh, over Louisville and Florida State. But uh, you want some momentum going to Greensboro. You want some momentum going to the tournament. David, this is a team that we've kind of had them tucked down in, in the, the best of the rest category for most of the year, right? You take the, the NCAA tournament teams, the bubble teams, and then that bottom third of the league, we've kind of felt like, hey, in, in that group, Virginia Tech can certainly hold its own. So now they're going to get the chance playing on Tuesday to to prove us right. Uh, what do you think about where the Hokies are at right now? I think they're at a pretty good, given how disappointing the regular season was in, in extended stretches, where they are now is in a pretty decent spot. Having won the, the, the last two games, shooting it well, you would think feeling confident, knowing based upon last season when they won four games in four days in Brooklyn to, to claim the ACC championship and get into the uh, NCAA bracket. 
confidence. But five games in as many days this week in Greensboro, Mike, is an XXL ask. It's never happened at the ACC tournament that a team could could pull that off. And we all remember Kemba Walker and company at the Big East tournament in 2011 doing it. And not only five games in five days, then going on and winning the national championship. Uh, I don't think that's in the cards for the Hokies (laughs) either. But could they do some damage in Greensboro? Sure. I mean, the, the, the draw is not foreboding by any stretch. Yeah, I, I really like, I mean, I, again, with the context of everything you just explained, I do really like their draw. Um, you know, you start with Notre Dame. They beat them by six in South Bend earlier this month. Uh, then it would be a matchup with NC State. And NC State's very good, but the Hokies played them tight. It was a five-point game uh, that they lost to State back in January, January 7th. Uh, so th- th- there's some steps there, and, and then it would be potentially on to Clemson and then potentially on to Virginia, who they've already split with. And uh, again, am, am I saying that the Hokies are, are going to you know, be there on championship Saturday with a chance to, to keep the season going? That, that might be uh, a bit of a stretch. But yeah, certainly the early part of this bracket. And you know, it does feel like the kind of team, because it's a veteran team, because it's a talented team, because it's a team that we had high expectations for, that, hey, if you get some momentum going, who knows how far they can ride the thing out. If I'm an opposing coach, I know that this is an opponent who can go hair on fire on you at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, they are more engaged defensively. And then then it starts to snowball. Uh, Whether they can do that for multiple days, I don't know. It appears to me based on how Notre Dame played at Clemson the other day, that maybe the Irish peaked with their home finale from Mike Bray in beating Pitt and that they are bordering on checking out. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Hokies roll the Irish tomorrow night in Greensboro. Uh, NC State has not checked out. Right. And – also did not play this past weekend. So we'll be very well rested come Wednesday night at 9.30. Of course, that's always the storyline that can go either way, right? If mm-hmm. they come out and, and hit one of their first 14 shots, oh, all right, well, a little rusty from not playing this final weekend. But uh, would I be, you know, if I'm Brad Brownell uh, at Clemson and I'm Tony Bennett at Virginia, honestly, I'm hoping that somebody – gets rid of these Hokies before before those matchups. Uh, that Those would be potentially uh, tough with you know some really good pieces, David. And, and I know it hasn't come all together, but Justin Mutz, I think you and I both hold him in, in very high regard, his all-around game. Uh, he, he's been at times off this year, especially with the turnovers. I think the yeah. same for Sean Padula. Um, I don't Padula know if, went off the other day. He sure Holy did. smokes. And, and he can do that. He's that kind of scorer. And Mutz is the kind of player that can impact the game in, in so many different ways. But And I don't know for Padula and, and Mutz and, and some of the, if it's been, you know, there was that stretch that Hunter Couture was out with the elbow injury. Is it trying to do too much? Is it taking too much on themselves playing outside of the system? Uh, or is it just that they, they haven't been as good? Uh, I'm not quite sure. But, you know, with Mutz, with Padula, with Couture healthy, uh, with the addition of Grant Basile, who's been 
David, I think better than anticipated in terms yes. of being able to score yeah. at multiple levels, right? He's not just the stretch forward who goes out and knocks down some threes. He, he's really been able to go to the rim. He's been able to post up. He's been able to pass the ball. Um, got some work still, obviously, on the defensive end. But, David, it feels like you, you look at all these pieces. You look at Mike Young, a guy who's uh, won six conference tournament championships, five uh, in the previous at stop at Wofford, and then obviously last year with the Hokies. Uh, you know, you look at this as, as you're given a scout, and, and I would think this is a scary opponent. Mike, to listen to you roll through that litany, it strikes me as fair to say, injury to Couture aside, that this team underachieved in the regular season. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's Virginia Tech or North Carolina in terms of the most disappointing. And, and North Carolina is still kind of trending now in the, in the right direction. But, um, you know, I, we can go back and pull that preview episode we did. I thought this was a top four in the ACC team. I thought this was a team that could contend for a regular season title, a conference tournament title. I did not think in a million years we would be talking uh, about a team that's out of the NCAA picture. I didn't think they were bubble, right? I thought this was going to be an an elite team this year, um, building off what they did. And it's been really interesting, and we'll get into the big picture in the ACC a little bit later in this episode. But uh, you think about Carolina and what they did in in March, and um, this regular season, they haven't looked like that. They've looked more like the team they were last regular season. You think about Virginia Tech and what they did in Brooklyn, um, and this team has looked more like the one that struggled early in the regular season last year. So uh, there are some schizophrenic, if you will, teams in the conference. And yeah, I, I think underachieved, disappointing, uh, all, all of those are fair to describe the Hokies this year. Yeah, I, I think so as well. But as they did last season in Brooklyn, they can make a lot of amends. And Mike, even if Virginia, if the expected happens and Virginia Tech does not win the ACC tournament. This is a program, I think, and a team that would benefit greatly from the NIT experience. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big NIT proponent to begin with because extra game, we always talk about, right, in the preseason, who do we like? We like teams that have experience. So why would you ever pass on the opportunity for experience? And, you know, I, I posted a story today about Mike Young and, and his kind of approach with the team, two years in a row uh, of some struggles and some hardship and how he kept them engaged and kind of going. And um, I think Mike Young is the kind of coach who could get his team motivated for an NIT, right? It wouldn't be going through the motions. It would be trying to pursue a, a championship, a trip to to New York and all of those things. So um, yeah, I think it'd be great, great for them. And um, it's just hard sometimes when you're an older team who had much loftier goals. Sure. Uh, you, you know, there's a difference of that young team that's trending up and sees the NIT as a springboard. I mean, go back to early in Tony Bennett's tenure at Virginia, right? Um, and so many other programs have done that with younger teams building up versus a team that really had aspirations of, of playing deep into the big dance saying, here's your consolation prize. But but I feel like they've got the culture, uh, and Mike Young has the approach. He would have the guys locked in for that. 
That was a really fun story you did on, on my, Mike Young's Southern expressions that sometimes <laughs> even baffle his veteran players. Isn't that great? And and then you know, you and I, as we cover him, we hear all this stuff, and and the players point out, you know, from context, you kind of get it, right? But yeah. when he's talking about piddle paddling around, or he's talking about being, you know, thin as nickel soup, uh, you know, I, I feel like my grandparents would be like, "Hey, I like this guy," right? And then here he's got this roster, you know, with guys from Orlando, with guys from you know Washington D.C. and and, and some you know real urban areas who connect with him and, and love him. I mean, you wrote about uh, his trip out to spend time with Justin Mutz, right? When Justin was trying to decide out what to Vegas. do. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, that bond, I mean, that story struck me because it was, you know, how close are these guys, regardless of basketball, aside from mm-hmm. basketball. Uh, but, you know, it's it's the classic odd couple pairing because Mike, Mike is Southwest Virginia all the way. Yeah. What, what, what's the saying uh, from one of the Quentin Tarantino movies? Country is a chicken coop. Yes, that <laughs> probably should be the headline, right, <laughs> on, on my Mike Young piece. And I think he would appreciate it. And again, oh, it, yeah. right? Like he embraces it. He, oh, he, yes, he does, man. Yeah, and, and I asked him the other day on, on the ACC call, I said, Hey, how how do you how have you changed in all your years as you've gotten older, right? Further from the age demographic of the guys you're coaching, and no you've got way. this geographic right. And he's like, I haven't changed at all. Uh, and you talk to his players, and they love him for it. Yeah, they absolutely do. Yeah, we do too. So we we wouldn't mind seeing him stick around in Greensboro for a little while either. And uh, we anticipate Virginia maybe being in Greensboro for a while. Obviously, they don't have to play till Thursday. They earned the double bye. Uh, they clinched a share of the ACC regular season title with their win over Louisville on Saturday. Uh, Miami gets the number one seed you know, via the, the head-to-head. Um, remember, the Hurricanes beat Virginia down in South Florida right when Reese Beekman came back. Uh, they beat him by two. UVA got Beekman the ball for a final shot, and he just couldn't quite get that explosion uh, to the rim for a chance to tie. Uh but Virginia also, like we said with the Hokies, kind of trending in the right direction here. A couple wins at the end. Maybe they've righted the ship. They certainly look dominant against Louisville. Now, it's last place Louisville. I get all that. David, I'll ask you the same question that I asked you about Virginia Tech. Where do you think we're at right now with Virginia? I think Virginia is pretty much, Mike, where we anticipated the Cavaliers would be <clears throat> at the beginning of the year. I think we all expected Virginia to be a top three, top four ACC team. Here they are, the number two seed of the conference tournament. They played one of the most difficult non-conference schedules in the country and excelled against it. You were out in Vegas. You saw them beat Baylor and Illinois on neutral floors. Both of those are NCAA tournament teams. Remains to be seen if Virginia beat an NCAA team when it won at Michigan. Wolverines sitting there squarely on the bubble after that overtime loss in Indiana yesterday. We watched that too, by the way. That was on my list. Yes, (laughs) sir. (laughs) Yes. Um, But no, I I think the Cavaliers are sitting just just fine. You know, have there been moments when they when they're flawed and those flaws are very obvious? Yes, but name me a team that isn't that way. I mean, come on. I I think they're they're well positioned and sitting there in in the in the two two seed uh, for Greensboro. But I, I I will remind folks that 
winning the ACC tournament is not, repeat, is not predictive of NCAA tournament success. You have to go back to 2016 to find an ACC tournament champion that made the Final Four. And before that, 2010. So once in the last 13 years, or twice in the last 13 years, the uh, ACC tournament champion has made the Final Four. Conversely, three times in the last four NCAA tournaments, the ACC tournament champion has gone out in round one. Virginia Tech last year. Yep. Georgia Tech the year before. Virginia in 2018. So some some memorable ones in, in there, and uh, you know detractors would say, well, this is a a weaker ACC, right? Like not winning the ACC tournament in years when the conference is stacked doesn't mean you're not great. Uh, maybe not getting it done in Greensboro this week speaks a little more to to, to your level, but um, that's important data, and I think you're right. And you know we talked about how much we like the path for Virginia Tech, David. I don't like the path for Virginia. Um, start right out the gate. I don't like a matchup with North Carolina if that's what happens. We just saw those teams play. I think North Carolina uh, and Duke and NC State are going to benefit from being in Greensboro. I think North Carolina has heard all year that they're a disappointment, that they're underachievers, that why did these guys come back and play another season? They're not getting it done. Um, I hate that first matchup uh, for UVI. I know it's nice to get the double bye, but uh, I, I don't know that this draw does them any favors by pitting them against the Tar Heels in their first game. I think Virginia would welcome the rematch, or actually a third game, with the Tar Heels. Uh, th- I think they, they, they believe they are better than they showed at the Smith Center earlier this month. And Carolina again, would be desperate and fighting for its NCAA tournament life. So I think a a Virginia-Carolina quarterfinal would be epic. I mean, just a great game. And, you know, would it be challenging for Virginia? Yes, but I think it's a challenge that the Cavaliers would meet. That doesn't guarantee they would win, but I think they they will play well against the Tar Heels. Assuming, right, assuming that we get that matchup, Boston College plays Louisville, the winner of that gets North Carolina. Uh, I, I don't I don't think, and, and I don't know, but I don't think this team is going to check out North Carolina. I, th- I think they're they're going to, like you said, play desperate. Um, I spoke to Armando Baycott last week for a story that, that'll run uh, here before they play. And, um, you know, this is kind of what they're here for. And, and I feel the same about Virginia, right? This is what they're here for. And not that the regular season wasn't important and, and not that – certainly with the ups and downs they had, that, that there wasn't plenty there. Uh, but this Virginia team, with Kihei Clark coming back, with Ben Vanderplas being a grad transfer, and uh, with Jaden Gardner and Armand Franklin, I mean, those guys transferred, David, to Virginia mm-hmm. for the chance to play in the NCAA tournament, to play, to play for championships. This means a lot uh, to, to this older team. And um, it's part of the reason, like you said, it's an intriguing matchup if we get it. Uh, it's an intriguing storyline either way with Virginia. I mean, there are a... A lot of older guys who feel like they still have a lot to play for. And uh, it, it will be interesting to see how it manifests basketball-wise, though, David, to me. And I hate to simplify things to this point. Virginia, when they're knocking down three-pointers, mm-hmm. 
really tough to beat because the defense gets back. They're locked in. Now you're playing against a five-man set pack line D. Uh, when they're not hitting threes and maybe they're scrambling back on D and you might be playing against a defense that isn't set or you're playing against four guys, uh, they're just not the same team. I'm probably oversimplifying, David, but if they start knocking down threes, they're as good as anybody in Greensboro. Mike, let's quote our old friend Seth Greenberg. It's a make and miss game. That's what it comes down to so many times. You're making shots, you're a genius. You're missing shots, not so much. And the other day against Louisville, you know, Virginia shot a season best. 58% from the floor. And when the Cavaliers are clicking like that, they're unfair. Now, I mean, and you mentioned the older guys who feel like they have so much to play for. I think all of us at JPJ on Saturday were so struck by Jaden Gardner pregame. I mean, he wept as he walked out onto the court for his senior day ceremony. And my good, we didn't get a chance to speak to him post game. They they seated the the interview podium to uh, Chase Coleman and Francisco Caffaro, but uh, it was it was neat to watch. And I I think those type of thing, you know that type of motivation will fuel this team. And you know it was a big deal for Tony Bennett and that bunch to to clinch a share of the regular season title. And they cut down a net. And there will be cynics that say, really, you're, you're cutting down a net even though you're going to be the two seed in the conference tournament? But Tony Bennett, that's not how he rolls. And he, he said it after the game. That's a 20-game slog in a league that he doesn't believe is as well regarded as it should be. And he thinks that's a heck of of an accomplishment. And I agree with him. And they'll they'll add it to a banner in in JPJ. And hey, Tony Bennett is now one of four coaches, five coaches all time to have won or shared at least six ACC regular season titles. And the others are Frank McGuire, Roy Williams, Dean Smith, and Mike Krzyzewski. And that, boys and girls, (laughs) is some serious coaching company. Right. And and I think part of the way Tony has established the culture of the program is, you know, by valuing that regular season title, right? Doesn't that help keep your team locked in all year? If you know what that means at Virginia, and it's not just about a tournament title, or it's not just about a final four, but if there is a genuine love and passion for putting up that regular season banner, cutting down those nets, that just helps keep you engaged. Um, I think it's a really smart tactic. And I I think Tony's done it since he's been at Virginia, the idea of Mm -hmm. valuing that regular season uh, in a way that keeps practice fresh because you're going for something. And, you know, I thought it was interesting. He, He said he thought he maybe made a little bit of a mistake. Yeah. Right. Wasn't that interesting? Overemphasizing the conference title race going into the Boston College game, yes. which they, they then were flat. They did not play well, um, lost soundly, and, and, and that was sort of a maybe a low-water moment for the season. And he said after this victory Saturday, he said, you know, maybe, maybe that was an era to kind of put so much emphasis oh, on. Yeah. And what did he say? He said, you know, I, hey, I, I told them, you know, where they are in the conference race and how important this is. And then he said, you know, the, why? These guys know. 
right? They know what's at stake. They're smart, especially a veteran team like this. Uh, I thought that was very introspective of Tony, but obviously at the end of the day, uh, they are still the co-regular season champions. So can't knock his coaching approach too much, even if if he did make a minor slip there in the way he, he framed it going into BC. Absolutely. I was struck that he that he kind of confessed there, you, you, using the postgame presser as a confessional. Exactly. It was almost like, okay, now that things worked out, let me get yes. this off my chest. Right. I probably shouldn't have done that. But uh, no, I, I think they are playing well on the defensive end, which is always what this program is built on. I think they're a veteran team. I think they're a motivated team. Um, and again, I, I hate to oversimplify. I think if Ben Vanderplas finds his three-point shot, if Armand Franklin is hot, if Kihei Clark knocks them down when they're open, uh, man, they are really, really tough to beat like we saw it in Vegas. And if those shots are off, it's going to be fighting and clawing for anything they get this postseason. Agreed. And you know, I, I still think they're going to be in Greensboro uh, the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, which will be great for Virginia fans. And the way Duke is playing of late, having won, what, six in a row? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see Duke in Greensboro as well. If the NCAA is smart and wants to sell that building out, put Virginia and Duke in there. Now, that would certainly be good from a ticket revenue standpoint, but I, I got to tell you, Jerry Palm at CBS I, had the projection. Your, your text last night was priceless. As soon as I saw that, so if you haven't seen, Jerry Palm's most recent prediction has Virginia as a four seed uh, in the East, meeting Yale in the first round in Albany with a potential second round matchup with Texas A&M and Buzz Williams. So... Uh, <laughs> For those of you who know uh, any of our history with, with Buzz when he was at Tech, uh, that would certainly be be a lot of fun to be in the same spot as Buzz's uh, Aggies, uh, you know, who also have uh, Henry Coleman, Richmond Kidd, and, and uh, Tyrese Radford. I was going to say, Tech St- Tyrese Radford's still there, man. Still playing. Uh, Wabisa Beatty, who was a point guard at Virginia Tech and, and is just a great guy, is on the staff there. So, mm-hmm. uh for many reasons, I hope Jerry Palm maybe maybe is right. Although Greensboro, uh, I've seen some Greensboro pairings that also have VCU uh, mm-hmm. at the site. That would be a lot of fun. You yes. mentioned Duke, so um, again, we we love you and I. We we love this time of year. We love the tournament. Um, we'll have no complaints wherever wherever we are. But uh, certainly, there's some uh, drama that could be had depending on on, on how they things unfold, and, and there'll be drama. No doubt this week in Greensboro, we don't know how things are going to unfold. But, David, we talked about the seeding, Miami at number one, uh, Virginia two, Clemson three, Duke four. They get the double buys. Uh, Then you look at it's Pitt, uh, who Pitt, (laughs) who went into last Saturday with a chance to be the conference champion and the one seed. They drop all the way to five. five. Uh, That tells you how tightly bunched the top was uh, this year. So, David, who do you? Whose draw do you like? Whose draw do you dislike? What jumped out to you when you took a, a glance at, at the bracket here in Greensboro? I don't know if anything jumped out to me about the bracket. I just know that you know Clemson is right smack dab on that bubble and and needs to show well, um, beating either NC State or Virginia Tech in in that quarterfinal would be immense. And then that would set up a Virginia Clemson game, which we just saw recently at JPJ. Mike, as I as I look at it, 
I keep coming back to one thing, and I've mentioned this, I think, on the pod and to, to several folks I talked to. This season, when Duke has its full complement of scholarship players, it has lost one game. One. And it was a rather controversial one. <laughs> I don't remember. Who did they lose to? Uh, what, what happened? <laughs> Mike, I'm telling you right now, I thought it the day that happened, and I continue to think it, and I, wa- I want it to happen in my bones. Give me Duke-Virginia rematch Saturday night in Greensboro. Make it happen. The uh, if you need to go back a couple of weeks and listen to the podcast episode, uh, the controversial ending of Duke Virginia when a foul was whistled and then taken away, uh, that would have given Duke the chance to win the game at the end of regulation. Instead, they go to overtime. Virginia pulls it out. Uh, that victory key to, to Virginia uh, being the two seed. And uh, but you mentioned the Blue Devils, and you're right. You know the the national narrative that the ACC isn't getting the respect it should because. Uh, maybe Duke and Carolina aren't where they should be. I don't get that because I think Duke is right where they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Duke looks great. Duke is my pick uh, to win in Greensboro. Yep. Certainly there's an advantage for Duke and Carolina and state that with the fans that they're going to be, uh, they're going to have a good contingent of fans. Now, obviously if you're Duke, You've got the Carolina fans probably rooting against you. <laughs> if you're Carolina, <laughs> you've got that big contingent of Duke fans rooting against you. Uh, if you're state, maybe you have both of those groups rooting against you. Uh, but, o- but overall, they're, they're going to have fans in the building. They're playing great basketball. And, hey, Duke basketball to me and John Shire, they did exactly what they're supposed to do. They had a tremendous recruiting class, a ton of young talent. They came out, and as the year went, They kind of gelled and put it all together, and they're playing great basketball going into March. So the idea that anybody's disappointed with Duke's season, I don't get it, man. Like I think Duke is right where they want to be. Again, they're they're my pick to to, to win in Greensboro uh, and to make a lot of noise in in the big dance. And I would not be stunned, David, and I think that Virginia-North Carolina potential matchup is the pivotal moment here, but I wouldn't be surprised if we got Duke-Carolina part three in the title game in Greensboro either. Oh no! Nor nor would I. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked to see Duke Clemson uh, in in the final. And here we here we are, Mike. You know, both of us all on all aboard the Blue Devils train. Not giving Jim Laranega any respect, and that's probably not very wise. I you know a a Duke Miami semifinal. Ooh. How much fun could that be? Yeah, and, and Duke's path, this is one, one. it is one of the harder, I think, because we mentioned Pittsburgh could have been the one seed. They're the mm-hmm. five. That's a potential second round or, or first Four game. Five. Yeah, first game for Duke uh, would be second game for Pittsburgh. Uh, that is a potentially tough and rugged ball game for Duke. Um, mm-hmm. You just mentioned Miami. The last time Miami won the regular season under Jim Laranega, they came out, and what did they do in the conference tournament? Yep. They backed it up and won it there, too. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, so when, when his team has been good, uh, they've been very, very good. Uh, so, yeah, it's, to me, that that road of potentially Pittsburgh, Miami, and, and then obviously whoever you get uh, after that, even though I like Duke and I think they'll win it, they will have the toughest 
route there, in my opinion. Clemson maybe, Clemson and Carolina probably the most desperate. Um, that adds some intrigue to that half of the bracket, I think. And, you know, we can't discount the fact that the way the league is configured with a clustering at the top and, and maybe no truly great team, uh, that there could be somebody from that middle of the pack. And, you know, I think about Wake Forest who earlier in the year was right in the thick of things and, and you know remade their team and Tyree Appleby, how good he is. Uh, if you're looking for kind of a deep-seated sleeper there, uh, you know we talked about Virginia Tech's chances. I think Wake Forest is intriguing, and, and wouldn't you know it, they're, they're also on that side of uh, that half of the bracket with Duke and, and, and Miami and Pitt. The, my only caveat with Wake, Mike, would be no Demari Monsanto. Now that he's he's out for the year and one of the best three point shooters in the league, and I just think without him, they just they don't have enough on the offensive side. And by the way, I misspoke earlier. Jim Laranaga did not win the ACC tournament in Atlanta. He won it in Greensboro. It was the year prior in Atlanta when that other Florida school, Leonard Hamilton Seminoles, won the tournament in Atlanta. So, yeah, I mean, Lyra Nagin, and this is, you know, everybody talked about Krzyzewski being gone, Williams being gone, David maybe Beheim being on the way out. Uh, still a really good cluster of both older, when you look at Lyra Nagin and, and Hamilton, uh, and younger coaches in this league. And uh, I've been, you know, if I'm, if I'm a triangle guy, I'm encouraged by what I've seen uh, from Hubert Davis and from John Shire. If, if you're Virginia in, in the Commonwealth, Tony Bennett and Mike Young, that's a really good duo. Uh, yes, there were some big names that are gone. Uh, there are some big names that are probably closing in on an ending. Uh, you know, Mike Bray leaving, although we believe both believe he'll be back coaching sooner rather than later. Uh, but I think coaching is in good shape in the ACC. I think it is too. You know who I've been impressed with? Earl Grant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they've done really well. You know, 9-11 and 11 this year, That that's progress. And oh, by the way, Mike, who has the second longest winning streak going into the ACC tournament behind Duke? Is it Georgia Tech? It is. Yeah, and Josh Pastor, media darling Josh Pastor. And hey, he's told us every Monday for the last two months that my team's just a month behind, that, that they're going to get there. And so maybe they are now where he was hoping to be in January. Uh, maybe here we are March 6th in the Yellow Jackets. Uh so you're saying maybe I should bump them up on my on my sleeper list. And, hey, David, also on the side with Duke Pitt, Miami, Georgia Tech. So uh, maybe that's the group of death over there. <laughs> yeah, it, no, I, you know, they, they're, they're scoring. And that's what, that's what he kept saying is we've got to get to 70 points. We've got to get to 70 points. And sure enough, they've, they've found a way to, to get there. I think Georgia Tech will beat Florida State. Tomorrow, that's the opening game, and then uh, you know, then they'll get uh, Pitt on Wednesday. My guess is that's where where it ends, though. Yeah, that that would be certainly tough. I uh, I did a story today, mostly for fun, uh, listing f- a reason that each of the fifteen teams could win the ACC tournament, and uh, you know, I I avoided being too. Uh, comical with it. You know, I, I, part of me wanted to say for Louisville, you know, a meteor strike takes out the other 14 teams and uh, Jim Phillips names them the champion. But when I wrote about Georgia Tech, I wrote about the progress. And, yeah. uh, 
you know, they are trending in the right direction and better late than never. And, and I think we always talk about teams peaking in March. And, and maybe it's silly to be talking about that with a, a 13 seed. But uh, as you look at the bracket, yeah. I mean, who, who are we leaning into? We're leaning into the teams that are playing well and putting it together down the stretch. And a few of them, like Virginia and like North Carolina, are doing it, and Clemson, doing it with real veteran presence. Uh, and a few of them, like Duke, are doing it with young guys coming together. I, I think it's going to be a really fun week in Greensboro. I, I can't wait to get down there. My 40th one in a row, my friend. That is quite the streak. I don't I don't think I'll be touching that uh, at any point. I, I'd have to do the math. What, this is my, I think, 11th. Uh, 11th consecutive ACC tournament. So I've got a little ways to go before <laughs> I catch you. Now, as far as that Scooter Francis award, because that's a big deal. Uh, that goes to, to somebody whose contributions and, and coverage of the league uh, has enhanced the league. Certainly you are beyond deserving. And, and you mentioned it's not just the longevity. It's the quality of work, but certainly you've got yeah. the longevity on your side too. Uh, what's, what's planned? I, I, I believe they recognize you on the court. Uh, anything else go on with, with receiving that award? No, just uh, I believe it'll be during a television timeout in Friday night's first semifinal. And Mike Jaminski and I are the, the co-recipients. And as I have told several people this week since the announcement, Mike scored 2,323 <laughs> points at Duke which is precisely 2,323 more than I scored at James Madison. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, there was a teammate of Michael Jordan's uh, the night he scored uh, 69 points and a teammate scored one point, hit a free throw <laughs> and told reporters in the locker room after, I will always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70, 70 points. There you go. But uh, do, you know, do you know Mike Kaminsky fairly well? I do not. I mean, I've been around him, uh, but I, I do not know him well. I remember watching, you know, Jaminski and I are of similar vintage. I, I was a student at JMU watching Jaminski play in the Final Four in St. Louis uh, with Duke against Kentucky and Goose Gibbons in that national championship game. Uh, so it all comes full circle. And it all ties in because you mentioned JMU. Uh, I got to know Kenny Brooks when he was coaching the women at JMU, uh, now the coach of the Virginia Tech women, and now the coach of the ACC tournament champion, Virginia Tech women. David, it's been um, a very steady and remarkable building job by Kenny Brooks uh, since he's been hired at Virginia Tech. This is his, I believe, seventh season with the Hokies. Uh, he's got a generational talent there in Liz Kitley. Uh, he's got a, a tremendous point guard, uh, Australian point guard in Georgia Amore. Uh, he's got a long history, Kenny does, of, of Australian point guards and going back to Jess Chickowitz at, at JMU. Uh, but David, this is a really impressive team and a really impressive program that Kenny Brooks has put together. Mike, they've won 11 in a row including the, the three in Greensboro. And yesterday, by the way, was the Hokies' first ever ACC tournament final. And then to, to close the deal against Louisville, I saw our friend Mark Berman at the Roanoke Times in, in writing about that game mentioned that one of the bracketologists who follows the, the women's game has now moved Virginia Tech up into a one seed. Uh, for for the NCAA women's tournament, which would be wild. I mean, we know the Hokies will host that that first weekend, 
Uh, but wow, for, for that program to, to get a one seed would, would be remarkable. And you mentioned that gradual build, you know, they, they would have been in the NCAA tournament if not for COVID in 2020. Right. right? Yep. And, and, and that delayed them but by a year, you know, getting back there. But I now know now that the, the next step for, for Kenny and his program is to advance in, in the NCAA tournament. If they're sitting there as a one seed, they, they are going to have clearly a, a favorable path in that first game. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable when you think about, you know, because the men's tournament has not started here as we record this, Virginia Tech is currently the reigning champion of both the right. ACC men's and women's conference tournaments. And uh, not bad for a football school, huh? Absolutely. And, and not a bad eight days for Virginia Tech athletics coming on the heels of men's and women's indoor track ACC championship. That's three ACC titles in two days. I mean, that's a pretty good haul. Yeah, it's quite a stretch. David, before we get out of here today, you have a tremendously moving piece uh, up on richmond.com right now. As always, I encourage you guys to go to the website and click on David's stuff. Why don't you, I'll just give you the floor. Why don't you share that story a little because uh, there's a lot to it and it's very uh, emotional and moving. Well, thanks, Mike. I, I appreciate you giving me the the opportunity. And, and this story is, is one that meant a lot to me to do because I've known Pitt associate head coach Milan Brown for a long, long time. He's 52. I've known him since he was in high school. He grew up in the 757 in Hampton. In fact, he and his or his older brother, Morocco, who was a linebacker at NC State and is now in the front office of the Indianapolis Colts, was a little league baseball teammate of Jill Teal. <laughs> so it, the, the families are very intertwined. But anyway, I was covering the spring meetings last May at Amelia Island, and I saw Jeff Capel, Pitt's head coach. And he knows that I know the Browns well. And he pulled me aside. He said, David Milan's in trouble. And he explained what had happened that very morning that Milan was in the hallway at the Peterson Events Center on the phone and he collapsed. And a woman who is known for her punctuality was for among the few times in her working career late for a meeting. And she just happened to find Milan Brown on the floor, unresponsive, no pulse, not breathing. But she knew CPR and she called 911 and she cried for help. And someone who was there at the Peterson Event Center setting up for a mega death concert that night, he comes tearing up the steps and they start CPR. Well, that's not working. Well, then somebody, that's somebody being Terry Mitchell, the associated head women's coach, went and found um, the defibrillator that hangs on the wall there at the arena. And they shocked him back to life, tore his shirt off and shocked him back to life. And uh, I talked to the two women, the other, the woman who, who originally found him was Amy Anderson, an associate athletic director. And I talked to the two of them and I talked to Milan's mom. And then the night before Virginia Tech's game against Pittsburgh and Blacksburg last month, Milan and I sat in the lobby of the team hotel for, um, for more than an hour 
you know, talking about his experience. And it, and my favorite part, I really couldn't describe it perfectly in the in the story was Milan leaned over. He said, "Now you're family, so you you can touch." He said, "Put your hand right here," and he put my hand on the back of his head, and you can feel the indentation from where he fell. That's how hard he went down on on the back of his head, and now he's got a internal defibrillator that monitors his heart rhythm and it was cardiac arrest no no family history doctors don't know what caused it but now he's back to full health and he's on the sideline and no one i assure you no one appreciates the great season that the pit panthers have had uh like like milan brown yeah, it really is a miraculous story, and and uh, you know one that that could have been uh, not a, a happy oh story. And, no. and and you you chronicled it so well. I mean, so many points and turns there uh, yes. where things kind of had to go right, and uh, somebody was was looking out for Milan uh, on that day, and uh, we're certainly glad. And I know you asked Jeff Capel about. Uh, you know, does he, does he, is that in his mind, right? Yeah. Working with Milan and, and he, and he told you that, uh, what, there was an incident where it, it, it the, the defibrillator kind of went off and Jeff said, well, at least we, we know it works. Yes. No, it was, and it, it was at the end of, of their game against Miami at home in, in January and, and Milan had had the scout and everybody's looking at Milan during a timeout going, okay, dude, what, what are they going to do? What are their tendencies? And, he said, he told me, he said, I felt like I'd been kicked in the chest by a mule because it had, the settings were not as precise as they should have been. And there was a misread. His heart's fine, but it kicked in and he was like, whole, and he kind of indicated to Jeff, he, he just pointed his chest and said, it went off. And that's when Jeff Capel said, sit your butt down (laughs) (laughs) you you don't want to mess around with that and and it you know it is interesting too that you know demar hanlon in the situation with the buffalo bills and Mm -hmm. um it's been written many times he could not have been maybe in a better place um but not the case for milan although it certainly worked out i mean he you know as you chronicled it certainly could have been that that nobody found him and um, i I think stories like this are also a great reminder this is my public service announcement for the day learn cpr learn that first aid treatment um the the classes are offered in in every town in every city your local fire department does it get yourself certified and uh you know you you never know who and when you may need it who you may be in a position to save and 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 i thought uh your beautiful story uh, also reminded us of that point thanks man yeah i couldn't agree more and that's that's part of the reason why milan is telling his story he was kind of reluctant because you know Reliving that's not necessarily a pleasant thing to do, even though he doesn't remember. I mean, the next thing he knows, the last thing he remembers is being on the phone talking to an AAU coach about a prospect. And and that's on this is on a Monday morning. And the next thing he knows, it's Thursday in the hospital. That's so, so scary and, and very vulnerable to share that story. But um I think very valuable too. And, and I hope, uh, I hope you all listening at home thought so too. Thanks for, for listening in today. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the times dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond times dispatch and richmond.com. 
For Skeeter Francis Award winner David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.